Hello and welcome to the Newsmax Daily for Tuesday, February 13th, 2024, also known as Fat Tuesday or Shrove Tuesday, and it's National Pancake Day, but it's mostly a day of great significance, which we'll discuss a little bit later. And a reminder for all you procrastinators, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Hint, hint. Flowers, gifts, dinner, whatever you're doing, you already know it's going to cost you more. The latest reading on inflation showing consumer prices rose three-tenths of a percent in the month of January. 3.1% higher than last January and higher than the 2.9% that analysts had expected. That is according to this morning's all-important CPI report, the Consumer Price Index. And stocks have hit the skids big time after 11 or 12 straight positive sessions. That is also likely to push back the Fed's timing on cutting any interest rates. The price of oil also on the rise today after Houthi rebels again fired on a cargo ship in the Red Sea, causing some damage to the ship. Yesterday, I intended to tell you that over the weekend, I paid $3.86 a gallon for premium as prices at the pump start inching higher again, but I only get to squeeze so much stuff in, I can't remember everything. The United States also took possession of a Boeing cargo plane in Miami yesterday that had been sold by a sanctioned Iranian airline to a Venezuelan company, which is in violation of federal export control laws. That according to a statement from the Justice Department. This is a potentially huge story. Some reports are saying that members of the Iranian National Guard were on board, the Revolutionary Army. This needs much further explanation from the White House or the Pentagon or both. And I apologize. I'm going to be a little bit all over the place today because there is so much going on that most of the media is not going to give that much coverage to. The other big story, which I mentioned at the close yesterday, is the reaction by some in the media and some in politics to Donald Trump's NATO comments in South Carolina over the weekend. Donald Trump is taking the side of a thug who invaded a pro-American, freedom-loving country. And he's going to take that side over a friend? Nikki Haley campaigning in Elgin, South Carolina. That's not somebody who's going to prevent a war. That's somebody who's going to who's going to get us in a war. And that kind of rhetoric was unhinged. It made Joe Biden look sane. OMG, she even went for the Donald Trump is going to get us into a war. All right, more on the insanity from Rob Schmidt. Liz Cheney's dramatic response to Trump's comments, no sane American president would encourage Putin to attack our NATO allies. And we saw more of the same from the usual suspects. Do you know, it's almost unbelievable. It's an insanity to say that because that is the existential crisis that the world faces right now. He's telling us that. Here he's telling us he's going to encourage Vladimir Putin a former Russian, a Soviet enemy, Vladimir Putin, to, inv to, to just take over not only NATO, but other, I mean, not only Ukraine, but other NATO countries. And just to speak in very specific yeah. terms, that's talking about like World War Three at that yeah. point. If you're talking about opening the door for Russia to go into Poland, Moldova, anywhere else, that becomes our third world war. Yeah. Brilliant analysis, as it always is. Does anyone actually believe 
that Trump was really inviting an attack by Russia on the West? Why is it the establishment in this country has no problem with a defense treaty made up of largely delinquent members? No problem with that at all. They never talk about it. But they absolutely lose it when somebody calls it out and makes an effort to improve it. And why is our country being run by people that have made us a doormat for wealthy nations like Spain, which can barely muster 1% of GDP to spend on its military while napping all afternoon? I played it yesterday, but here is Trump's comment again in case you missed it. And keep in mind, he's talking about a conversation that he already had several years ago, which has led to many NATO countries increasing their spending and contributing more. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay, you're delinquent. He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You gotta pay, you gotta pay your bills. Now, most of us realize what this is, right? This is a businessman lighting a fire under NATO, seeing something he doesn't like in the numbers and trying to change it. Comments like this motivate nations who've gotten very comfortable spending less and less on their own national defense. Comfortable knowing if they get into a fight in the schoolyard, their big brother is Mike Tyson. The U.S. spends close to a trillion dollars a year on defense. It is an ungodly amount of money. And with that money, we defend the entire West, not just ourselves, including many countries that would spend far more and be forced to spend far more if they weren't protected by us. Everyone in Washington ignores this because most of them benefit from a larger military industrial complex and more spending. The more money Washington spends, the better everybody in Washington does. And that's exactly the problem with Washington. Rob Schmidt tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern on Newsmax. And with that, let's go to Washington, where the Senate had another late night working to craft another spending bill in the form of aid for Ukraine. As sympathetic as I am for the Ukrainian people, I don't see how sending another $60 billion helps their plight. That's Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson and this from Ohio's J.D. Vance. At what point is enough enough? At what point do we say the war is a stalemate, it's going to end in a negotiated settlement anyway, let's stop wasting lives, let's stop wasting money, and let's get on with the peace. Speaker Mike Johnson has already rejected the bipartisan aid package. Let's go to Rob Finnerty and Sharla McBride on Wake Up America. Corey Mills, Congressman, good morning. Good to have you on this Tuesday. Um, First question about the bill, does this have a chance at passing in the House? Well, I don't believe it does, and that's thankful to uh, Speaker Mike Johnson, who said he's not going to even bring it to the floor. So uh, I am hopeful this is dead on arrival. I think that the Senate's priorities um, are certainly not on America first. They're more on trying to secure everyone else's borders to include Ukraine's, which we've already seen has got widespread corruption. And meanwhile, prolonging a war that's actually costing more lives and We've got 8.5 million people who are coming across our border, mm-hmm. 1.8 million in gotaways, over 230 different nations who have crossed, 200 plus terrorist or uh, individuals who are on terrorist watch lists. I mean, the the list goes on and on. And you got Mayorkas, 
who has even said multiple times that our borders are, are secured and closed, which clearly are not. So uh, I think this Senate bill is dead in the House. I don't think Speaker Johnson is going to bring it to the floor for a vote. But we are going to have a second bite at the apple when it comes to looking at how we secure our borders, because the H.R. 2, which is Secure the Border Act, has been sitting with the Senate for nearly a year now. And they've refused to take it up. And what they're doing is they're prioritizing Ukraine over America. Well, I'm sorry. I was elected by the American people. That's who I represent. That's who I protect. And that's what my priority is. Yeah, Senator J.D. Vance brought up some text buried in the bill that requires funding for Ukraine well into the next presidential term. So Trump has made his stance on Ukraine aid very clear. Senator Vance calling it, quote, impeachment time bomb. Do you agree? I do indeed. And Senator Vance has done a great job of continuing to hold the line, which is not easy. Obviously, he doesn't have the votes uh, to go ahead and push that through on his own. But I know that he stands for America first. Uh, he's right that this would absolutely try and mandate funding to Ukraine, which is something that no American, as you've seen, it's even in most polls, you see it's a unpopular favored thing when it comes to trying to continue support to Ukraine when it comes to finances. Look, we're at $34 trillion in deficit. Next year, we're looking at over $900 billion just in interest service payments. That is the equivalent of the entire national defense budget for the United States. We have to start prioritizing at home. We have to start looking at robust military. We have to start looking at securing our border. We have to start looking at economic right. growth strategies and getting back to energy independence. And we can't do that if our focus and priority is on securing Ukraine. That's Florida Congressman Corey Mills on Wake Up America this morning. And did you see that Mittens Romney said this Senate vote is one of the most important votes in the history of the Senate? In the history of the Senate. I mean, just think about that. The vote on aid for Ukraine is one of the most important in the history of the Senate. All right, the House is also expected to push forward on a second attempt at impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for his handling of the U.S.-Mexico border, or lack thereof. The Department of Homeland Security sent a memo to House Republicans saying even some members of their own party have said there is no reason to remove Secretary Mayorkas from office. No reason I don't know if impeachment is the right vehicle, but has there ever been a more clear case of someone not doing their job and not giving a flip about it, except for maybe Vice President Kamala Harris, the border czar? This is Congressman Ronnie Jackson on Frontline with Carl Higby. Kamala Harris, I mean, we all know this. We, you know, she's, uh, she's a box of rocks. I tell people all the time, like, you know, uh, Joe Biden, you know, is cognitively impaired, you know, uh, because of his age, but. You know, Kamala Harris was born that way. I mean, she's right. just that way. I'm yes, that's the same Ronnie Jackson that was the White House chief medical advisor for multiple presidents. No one believes that Joe Biden is OK, and yet they keep lying to us. Yeah, no, Carl, everybody sees it right now. I mean, we've been saying it. I've been saying it for three years now. Uh, it's been increasingly obvious that the public has started to realize it over the last three years. Almost everybody thinks so now. You know, we had this uh, report that came out from the special counsel who uh, documented it from an objective standpoint, mm -hmm. from a completely different angle. You know, he's a, you know, he's a, an appointee of the D Department of Justice, of, you know, of, of Biden's own DOJ. And he says so. And then Biden gets on TV to try to re to rebuff that and say, look, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly fine to be your commander in chief and your head of state. And he just proves in real time that he's totally not fit for office. Uh, yeah, and so everyone's yeah. 
no, Congressman, you you were the chief medical advisor to both Obama and Trump. OK, politics aside, like, have you ever seen such a massive decline? No, I haven't. You know, and, I, and that's a good point, Carl. I mean, I was at the White House for 14 years. I was with Bush, Obama and Trump. I was there during as, a, as an appointee or, you know, as on active duty as a physician, as the director of the White House Medical Unit and the appointed physician of the president for Obama. And I was there for eight years and I saw Biden in and around the White House, uh, you know, the Oval Office and the West Wing on a regular basis. And I just tell people, if you don't know how bad it is, I mean, most people do, but go back and look at video from him when he was very first vice president or prior to that and compare it to video from now. It's not the same man. I mean, it, the degeneration is profound. Uh, and the fact that they think that he can finish this term uh, and, and then do another four years after this, no. that's absolutely insane. Former White House Chief Medical Advisor, Congressman Ronnie Jackson of Texas, on Frontline with fellow Navy veteran Carl Higby. Frontline airs at 5 o'clock Eastern, by the way. For more on the same subject, let's go to Eric Bowling. Joining me now is former Housing and Urban Development Secretary and retired neurosurgeon Ben Carson, uh, Dr. Carson, your, your thoughts on, well, the New York Times actually had a couple editorials come out over the weekend pushing back on Biden a little bit, but the LA Times says it's somehow a superpower. And if you watch MSNBC in the morning, Morning Joe, they took a different tack. They went right at Trump's mental acuity, which is kind of what, what about is it? Sir, your thoughts? Well, first of all, age is probably not necessarily the right thing to look at. Uh, in medicine, we talk about the physiological age and the chronological age. Chronological age being the number of years consecutively. Physiological age being the age that you act or appear to be. There are some people who are 40 years old who act and appear to be 80 years old. There are some people who are 80 years old who act like maybe a 50 or 60 year old person. So we really need to look at the right thing. It's not necessarily just the age. But uh, what's very concerning to me about this situation is the people who are propping up Joe Biden. They know that he is not mentally competent. They also know that we have a raging war going on in Ukraine. Uh, we have big trouble in the Middle East. We have China potentially eyeing Taiwan. We have a whole series of, of problems in this country as well. You need an inspirational and intelligent leader in a situation like that. When things are falling apart, that's not when you put a puppet in there and try to hide what's going on. If you really have any concern whatsoever about the country and about its future. And I, I fear that many of those people who are propping him up do not have uh, any good feelings about our yeah. nation. One of them. One of them being Dr. Jill Biden, you know, I, I, I know why the aides and the, you know, the donors, all those people, they, they, they painted themselves in the corner. They waited too long for this. And now they got, they have, kind of have to stick with a guy unless they do a brokered convention. But Jill Biden is one who probably should at some point have stepped up or could step up and say, look, it's time. Pull a plug on this deal. Yeah. Well, he's wanted to be president for decades and uh, so don't expect him to give it up uh, easily, regardless of whether it's good for the country or not. He wants to be the president and his wife wants to be the first lady. Mm -hmm. Somebody, some of the people around him have got to just look themselves in the mirror and say, what are we doing? What are we doing to the future of our country? What are we doing for our children and our grandchildren? 
that is much more important than political power. Dr. Ben Carson, a potential vice presidential candidate on the balance with Eric Bowling. And what's funny, not ha-ha funny, but you can take what he said almost verbatim, at least the last couple of lines there, and plug it in to MSNBC or CNN, and that's exactly what they're saying about Trump and the Trump family with the whole save democracy thing, right? Yesterday, the former president asked the Supreme Court to extend the delay in the trial stemming from special counsel Jack Smith's election interference case. Trump is arguing that he has presidential immunity to protect him from prosecution, which I'm sure you know by now. West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey and Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita weighed in on Monday's edition of National Report. I was really encouraged listening to the arguments and the responses by the justices. I'm very hopeful we could see a 7281, maybe even a 90 decision. And I think that's because this is a very straightforward case. The Constitution is very clear laying out the qualifications for individuals who are running for president and vice president, and it's a uniquely national office. So this is one of these circumstances where the states can't add additional requirements. I think a lot of the justices focused on that fact. And I think there was also a bit of skepticism because President Trump and all the 91 indictments has not been indicted for insurrection. And the court expressed some concern about that and the fact that chaos, I think, would ensue if you have a wide variety of different standards being applied across the country. And I thought that the court was very concerned about that kind of dynamic emerging. Yeah, aside from not being charged again or convicted for insurrection, um, several state Supreme Courts have already tossed this. The only one that moved through a Supreme Court within the state was Colorado. Obviously, Maine did that through the secretary of um, uh, the secretary in, in that state. Um, I wanted to move to Todd Rakita, if I can, Attorney General, if I can. In this legal briefing, and we have some of this, too, you both signed on to it, and it reads, quote, the Colorado court's decision will create widespread chaos. Most obviously, it casts confusion into an election cycle that is just weeks away. Beyond that, it upsets the respective roles of the Congress and the states and the courts, end quote. Um, A.G. Rakita, your thoughts here? Do you think that point was, was made during these oral arguments? I'm sure you've listened along. Yeah, I sure do. And the last time we were on your program, Pat, Patrick and I, I called for a 9-0 decision. And I'm glad to see that he's joining me uh, almost in that now, uh, because it is very straightforward. Uh, Patrick and I co-led actually 27 states altogether. And our thanks goes out to all those like-minded states, those common sense states who, who agreed with our brief and said, you know what, this doesn't help. In fact, this dilutes the power of the Trump voter in our respective states if one or more states are allowed to take that candidate off the ballot. Uh, so there's there's a voter suppression, voter dilution, uh, if you will, aspect to all this, because as Patrick says, you know, the, the, you got, we got to remember there's only two offices in the country that this scenario affects, and that's president and vice president. And it's only those two is because every American citizen gets to vote for these two offices who's over the age of 18. So very unique circumstances. The, I think the justices, again, got it. It's a very straightforward case. And by the way, regarding insurrection, guys, uh, not only was he not indicted for insurrection, he was certainly wasn't convicted. 
And ultimately, under the 14th Amendment, what we argued is that it's quite clear that deciding whether someone was an insurrectionist, think Shays Rebellion, Fry's Rebellion, all these rebellions we had around the Civil War uh, era where the, when the 14th Amendment came into place, it's for Congress to decide that. It's so, it's, so in essence, it's a political question, not a legal one, whether someone's an insurrectionist. And we pointed that out in our brief. And for all these reasons, uh, I'm looking forward to President Trump staying on the ballot in Colorado and yeah. the rest of the 50 states and territories. That's Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita on National Report. Today is that special election in New York to fill the seat of ousted Republican uh, Congressman George Santos, which I mentioned yesterday. Republican candidate Mozzie Billup facing Democrat Tom Suozzi. This will likely be closely monitored throughout the day. A very important vote happening there in New York. I mentioned that the Open today is National Pancake Day, which, yes, means free and or discounted pancakes at IHOP, Denny's, and many other places, but is really about a lot more than that. Pancake Day is deeply rooted in the history of Christianity as a day that Christians would use up their food supplies and have one last feast before Lent. Lent, by the way, starts tomorrow on Ash Wednesday, which is also how today became known as Shrove Tuesday, initially a solemn day, and then it became Fat Tuesday, the celebration of Mardi Gras. Back in the day, Christians had to abstain from using butter, milk, eggs, and other animal byproducts during Lent. And I would certainly be remiss not to mention that today is World Radio Day. Long before TV, the internet, social media, and cell phones, the radio was our gateway to the world. Broadcasting news, sports, entertainment was often and sometimes still is the only means of information and communication during natural disasters and other life-threatening emergencies. Some other Newsmax hosts like Greg Kelly, Chris Salcedo, Howie Carr, for sure, Todd Starnes for sure, who also have a passion for radio, I'm sure will be reminiscing about World Radio Day today. Make sure you watch their shows and all the other shows on Newsmax to keep up with the news all day. And there is plenty of it. Newsmax is available on most major cable systems. And make sure you have Newsmax Plus. Go to NewsmaxPlus.com. Get signed up. You can get a free trial if if you're not already getting Newsmax Plus. It includes all of your favorite shows and analysis, documentaries, special programs, and more. NewsmaxPlus.com. I'm Tony Marino. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Newsmax Daily. Continue to share it with your friends and family. You can always reach out and comment at radio underscore Marino or at Newsmax or at Newsmax Podcasts on X. Enjoy the rest of your day. Keep in mind the meaning of the day and keep in mind that tomorrow is Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. Most importantly... Keep on fighting the good fight. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere.